Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis, a chartered surveyor, coach, business mentor, and founder of the Surveyor Hub community. Each week on this podcast, I speak to surveyors and people in the industry about their careers, business journeys, and day-to-day work. Listen to their real-life stories, step into their shoes, and leave feeling connected to the conversation. So today I'm joined by two female surveyors, which is super exciting because that makes three, which means we've got what Pim's o'clock. Is that what you call it? Where you get a bunch of people together. Pim's o'clock. So welcome to the podcast, Rebecca Wheeler and Sawan Lai. Hello. 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 And you both work together. You run your business, Wheeler and Lai. Yeah. Yes, That's we do. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So tell me a bit about your, your business and how that got started. So, hello everybody, I'm Salwan Lai and we are commercial property surveyors and we are based in the South Coast and Rebecca and I both worked in the same company previously. She was there for 17 years and I was there for 12, so we've always worked side by side and then a few years ago we decided, well, trying to get the right mindset of can we do something for ourselves and then two years ago, we took the leap and we formed Wheeler and Lye Chartered Surveyors. And that's, we are now two years down the line and really excited to be, to be here. And tell me a bit about the kind of work that you do. So you say commercial property experts, but that could be quite range. So, so Rebecca, tell me about the kind of work that you do. So I, I would say anything that involves a shop, office or industrial space, it's something that we can help with. So whether that's valuation work. So any valuation, formal valuation, not loan security. We're not on any bank panels or or covered for any loan security work, but probate, capital gains, tax, accounting. So any formal valuation that you might require. Landlord and tenants are the professional side. So rent reviews and lease renewals we get involved with. Property management. So again, we try and stick with the commercial side of things. But sometimes if you've got a block where you've got the commercial and then an element of residential, then it's easier for us to take on the whole thing. But we try to avoid the residential. Um, don't, what, you don't, don't you don't you like residential? <laughs> I think we had many years of residential property management, and I think both of us made the decision before we started that the valuation side, yes, we like. I think the uh, is it right to say? Maybe cut this out. <laughs> the evenings and calls that my light bulbs broken type of management queries you know just before Christmas or 11 o'clock at night I think we were trying to avoid that to a degree for our own lifestyles at this stage Mm. and also to concentrate it's just us two so focusing on just commercial property was where we wanted to be I think it was where we both enjoyed that side of things more so it was a combination and of things but because it's just two of us we have to focus really and rather than cover all avenues. I think that's really interesting so my background as you you may know is uh, defect complaints and claims and I run a complaints department for for many years. My background prior to that one of my first jobs and how I got into customer experiences I used to work in customer care teams so I used to work for a company called Demon Tweaks that sold car parts to boy racers mail order and you would deal with every kind of stupid query under the sun from you know everything from you know my, my parcel hasn't arrived and I think this is where I realized I needed to move on um, I was asked 
the question of why doesn't my dummy aerial work? And it's because it was a pretend aerial. And it was at a low point that I realized I, I needed to move on. But with dealing with complaints, and especially with dealing with con- consumers, I do think it takes um, a very special kind of person with the right skill set and the right, right mindset. But also, if you're not supported, if you don't know, have the right team around you, the right processes and systems, you can get burnout. And I see a lot of people who love working with customers. I love working with customers. But you can get burnout because you're dealing with, you know, it's not just the light bulb's gone. It's an emotional, the light bulb's gone. And this is the consequence that it's having in my life, my life, which might be not so great right now on top of everything else. And it's having to deal with that emotion. It can be really draining. So I see a lot of people get burnout from that. And particularly in the surveying arena, not everybody likes to talk to customers. It's one of sort of the biggest criticisms that uh, that, we're, that we have. They don't like to talk to customers. They just want to go and do the, the property, you know, do the, the survey. But it takes a special skill set. So I actually admire you for deciding that actually that, no, that's not right for us right now. We've got other things to concentrate on. Tell me a bit about how you became surveyors though, because there's what, less than 15% women surveyors in the industry and yet there's three of us on a podcast which feels quite exciting but what inspired you very rare isn't it it is very rare yeah but what inspired you how did you how did you become surveyors so so for myself I actually suppose stumbled into surveying I studied English and American literature at, at university just for the joy of reading and all about words and I didn't really have a a plan but I was born and raised in Portsmouth and I came back home and I decided to just have a look at the university prospectus and noticed a RICS accredited course on property development. And at that stage, at university, it was all about the property programs, relocation, relocation, um, development, and all that excitement from the television. I was like, oh, I'll have a look at this course, see what it's all about. And it is also accredited. So that's a bonus. And to be honest, it's probably a bit of a misnomer. It wasn't anything about property development, but it was more, I suppose, in the old school real estate planning, learning about, I suppose, what is to be a surveyor. And I, I actually quite liked it still. It was all quite technical and I enjoyed just learning something new. And so I fell into that and I canvassed local companies. Can I have a job, please? I've just graduated, postgrad- I'm a postgraduate. Um, not many people wanted to know but luckily a local surveyor took me under his wing as a a graduate and he was pretty much a one-man band and was very generous enough to be my mentor and he continues to be my mentor and introduced me to another local company and that's did my APC training and that's where I met Rebecca. And it's important that we find those key people you know, we talk a lot about mentoring within the Blue Box and the, the Surveyor Hub. And there's a difference between mentoring and shadowing. But having those key people in your life, in your career can really make a difference, can't it? Rebecca, tell me about your journey then. So for me, I did A-levels. I was born and raised on the Isle of Wight. So I think didn't want to venture too far off the island, but found a course. I thought that sounds really exciting. At the time, it was called land management, um, but it's now known as real estate at Portsmouth University, had some law, had some property, had some valuation. I just sounded really exciting. So 
it was something that I signed up. I think it was very lucky that it was RICS accredited because there were courses running alongside that weren't, although they were doing similar modules. So I think it was fortunate that it was accredited because it saved an awful lot of time, obviously, later on. And very much like Sal, it was running to the end of the course. And I thought, obviously, need to get a job now when it, when it comes to this. And it was in 2001. So it was still a, a good time of yellow pages. <laughs> So I trawled through Yellow Pages and just wrote to everyone with my CV in Portsmouth and Southampton. Obviously moved over to Portsmouth by this point, bought our first house there. And and again, the company that I worked with for 17 years uh, were small practice, I suppose. And I was their first APC candidate. Um, So it was new for them and it was new for me. Um, But together we managed to get through. And actually, I feel very proud that the APC assessment was actually two years and one week. So again, it was back when it was a lot of paper involved and had to take my submissions. But I also had to take my logbook with me for the final period because obviously I hadn't done two years when I'd submitted all my applications and things. So fortunate to pass. And it happened to be on the same day as the final landing for Concorde. So uh, we saw the, the last commercial flight and we stopped the interview and I was so nervous at the interview and they said would you like to stop you know this is history there's the final concord landing I was so nervous and I said no I just want to get the interview done and then they asked me the question again and whilst they were nodding you do want to stop don't you and I was like, okay but I was so nervous maybe so- they wanted to stop but it was an amazing experience I don't really think I focused in on Concord at all but yes so for that sake I remember the date very clearly so it's the 24th of October 2003 and it will stick with me forever I think wow what what an experience that that was crikey so tell me you worked together and then you decided to set up in business together And I'm really inspired by the way that you network and promote your businesses. Why I wanted to have a chat with you on the on the podcast. I think there's lots that people can learn from the way that you're promoting yourselves. So you've decided to become sort of entrepreneurs and work together. Thank you. (laughs) What's the motivation behind that? What's the sort of the what when was the switch flicked, if you like, to say, do you know what? We need to do this ourselves. And what does it take to to do that? So I suppose at um, I suppose the later stages where we worked before, we were both part-time at the time, and we felt that we probably had a bit of capacity to do something a bit more and to kind of suppose for us to feel a bit more autonomous and a bit more freedom to, I suppose, explore something. But unfortunately for us, it was getting the right balance and the right mindset of are we able to do something and I suppose the courage and at the time we did have discussions where we were and it just wasn't the right opportunity then so we decided actually rather than doing something on the side why don't we take the opportunity to do it for ourselves not as a side hustle but as something in its own right and we wanted a bit more I suppose flexibility for our, our home home life a bit more just to be our own boss I suppose mm. well let me ask you so you said you're both working part-time was that because you've got children family that's right we've got I've I had a I've got two boys and they're quite young and they're, they're currently five and eight so what I notice with a lot of the surveyors that I work with so through the, the coaching that I do and the uh, the masterminds that I run is there a 
there are sort of two types of motivation, if you like. There are those that are, I want to work for myself and they're sort of quite aspirational and maybe they've always wanted to work for themselves and they're just planning the, the right time or they've been inspired by others who work for themselves. It's that towards motivation. This is where I want to be. Or there are others that are, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want a boss that tells me to do all the rubbish jobs. I don't want to be working all sorts of hours because I don't want to work for any anyone else. That's why I'm going to work for myself. And it's interesting then just the, the patterns, and you mentioned mindset, you know, of how... Uh, how people then approach their business going forward. So if you're very towards motivation, you're, you're thinking more about your purpose and the difference that you want to make in the world. And you can be quite selective about your clients, you know, and as you just said, you know, you want to focus on certain types of work and it's sort of more aspirational, tends to be more positive. Whereas on the other side, it's, you know, I don't want. Some people then have this sort of embedded fear you know, sort of a sense of lack, you know, I don't want to be without money, therefore I'm going to take every job going. Some people don't think they've got ideal clients, for example, when they do, they absolutely do. Even if you work in a particular patch, you've got an ideal client that you can work with. So it's quite interesting you sort of talk about about the mindsets. I mean, what have been the big learnings for you, maybe Rebecca, the big learnings for you over the last sort of two years then of being in business? There's the importance of a network around you. And the big surprise really for us was the amount of support we had from other surveyors, where it's quite competitive market in, in some ways. And I think where we were before, obviously, there was a small team and we had that network within the team. Um, we're lucky that Sam and I've got each other. But I think the biggest learning has been how much support and how much we there's so many people out there that are offering advice as well and happy to talk to us if we've got a tricky evaluation or we you know want to just chat through with somebody else that might have done a few more in their time they've always been open arms really and very supportive working jointly with us and I think it's just being very open and transparent I think it's been a really good learning curve because we've had a lot of support from that but there's a lot of business that we weren't aware of as well um so the admin side of things it is just Sam and I so the admin there is no support um, we are answering the phones and bits and pieces at, at this moment in time, but it's working well and it's been a great learning curve and a great journey so far. So um, we're onwards and upwards and excited about what the future holds. What about you, Lau? What's been your big learnings? Well, I suppose it's we've never networked before. So you, the way you mentioned, you know, how we are networking is it has been such a journey that we didn't need to before and we just, you know, did our job, clocked in, clocked out as you say, didn't really need to, suppose, promote the business in that sense. But since becoming Wheeler and Lie, we actually, people need to know we exist as an entity. So we have thrown ourselves into networking, meeting people, so that they know we exist as a business, so that they can come and find us. So many people aren't just going to look you up. They'll just probably go to the, the bigger firms, national firms. But actually, there is the support for the independent firm. So therefore, going out meeting people they can put a face to the name the business and actually one of the side benefits I suppose is by meeting so many people we can also say to people okay we've met another an accountant an, an architect if you need that service you know we can recommend you to our network 
And so it's kind of something that we didn't necessarily foresee, but it is certainly one of the big learnings, actually meeting other people to be able to build your connections and network so that not just benefit yourself, but benefit others around you as well. Yeah, it's very reciprocal, isn't it? It's almost as though, and I, I see this a lot with the surveyors that I, that I work with, and I've experienced it myself, although one of the challenges for me was not to say I'm a surveyor, but to say I'm more of a business coach. Because when I say I'm a surveyor, they all wanted me to do their surveys. And I don't do surveys anymore. But I built a network of people that I can I can refer to. And I only refer people that I, I trust or have experienced before because it's always your reputation. But it feels like when you step out into that sort of networking, that it's a big spider's web. And I don't mean that in a messy spider's web, but it's that connection. Everything is connected. And you'll speak to somebody who knows so-so-and-so and, oh, yeah, I know them. And you can feel really feel a part of it. And when you are part of the world out there, I mean, and when you work for a corporate and you're just doing your job day in, day out, you miss all of that. You miss all of that. And when I, a number of years ago, I did some... I had some personal development training. I was part of a, a leadership program. And a lot of the people on the course were worked for themselves. There were sort of entrepreneurs. Although not, not everybody called themselves an entrepreneur. And I admit, I'm not a fan of the word. I always struggle to spell it, to be fair. But I always think, but you know, but I, I sort of met all these people and I thought, why would you work for yourself? It looks like a load of stress. <laughs> and but I learned a lot about them over the course of the year when I was on on this course and I met women who you know would could make money out of making pictures out of buttons on their kitchen tables and were successful all the way through to women who ran multi-million pound PR firms and all sort of very varying levels of, of success but they all believed they had the wherewithal inside to do it but what I realized is, as I learned more about them, is just the way that they network. They all, oh, you know, so-and-so so -and, -so, and, and refer on and, and that sort of just feeling connected. And so for me, when I left my corporate career and then I started to work for myself, because my eyes had been opened to that, it didn't feel like, I mean, it was a big jump for lots of, a whole other bag of reasons, but it didn't feel scary because I had role models you know, albeit, for, you know, making pictures and PR firms and those things, kind of things. But I, I wasn't afraid because I thought, well, there's always somebody that I could reach out to. And when I did the, whilst I was on my sort of garden leave, I did this Women in Spain project, which I know you, you know about. You know, at the time, I'd never used Twitter. I'd never used Zoom or video to record anything. I'd never used MailChimp to set up email sequence or those kind of things. I didn't know how to do anything. And I just asked my network. I just said, I've got this idea. I'm thinking of doing a project. I asked a number of women, would they be interviewed? And then I got loads of women wanted to be <laughs> interviewed. But I didn't know how to do anything like that. But my network helped me. And so it's really interesting you saying about reaching out to your network because I found even with the surveyors I work with, they're not really competitive. We talk about a race to the bottom on prices when there's these um, you know, price comparison sites that some people use. But actually, when you get to talk to surveyors who work in a local patch, they're really friendly and they support each Absolutely. other. And it's like a big revelation that really, <laughs> you know, but the more you get to know your local network of surveyors, 
the more you realize that you align in, in different ways and you have different clients and different focus and you can support each other. That's totally. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with, with that. It's, um, it's certainly also the network helps your own business, like you say. So it's not only helping your clients, um, but for IT support or yeah, anything yeah. that you might need or, or at home, a carpet fitter, electrician, you know, all of those things are, are all very useful. And um, the network sort of spreads far and wide. And it, like you say, it's building up the trust. Now, now with your business name, We Learn Lie, it's your name. How much of your business is you and how much do you separate it out? And the reason, reason I ask that, you know, I talk about work-life integration I'm all for having a balance, but you are one person, but it's hard to be the surveyor in business and then the mum at home or the the partner or or whatever. Yeah. And it's just about being yourself because people buy from people ultimately. And I think that's why networking, getting to know people better works because they want to buy from you because they know, like, and trust you. But I see a lot of surveyors and I, I see this all the time when you look at their website They talk about, we do this and we do that. And actually it's a one-man band. And they don't own the fact that they work for themselves. They don't own the fact that, you know, for example, they don't put their their picture on the website. They don't own any of that. And I think, you know, it's almost like they're trying to be a mini corporate without admitting that, do you know what? I work for myself. There's some stuff I can do, some stuff I can't. This is me. This is why you should work for me. So how much, I mean, I appreciate it's a bit different because there's there's two of you and you can use the we, but how much do you feel you you are your business? So I would say at at the beginning, we were very much, it is us. And we we attended a course actually that said, you know, a successful business is one that can run without you. And Rebecca and I looked at each other and thought, hang on, but we can't because it is (laughs) us. You know, we can't be not in the business. It won't um, make it, but actually learning in this kind of the two-year journey we've taken and actually speaking to lots of different business owners in the different types of journeys they've been on. And it's really opened our eyes to, you know, we didn't start off with a a big plan. We didn't set out to be business owners back in the early days of our career, but it is possible to set up a legacy perhaps for our children, build up the brand, build up the name. And the very early stages for me personally I wasn't on social media, so it was has been all a learning curve. And I suppose initially it was very much I need to learn how to do all, all the social media, need to be everywhere. And to be honest, I did get a bit addicted to blogging in and doing the posts and engaging. And it has taken me, I suppose, a little time to actually step back. And I've got a better balance now. And I certainly know to kind of not have to be engaging all the time and give myself breaks and not to be on it at the weekend, use scheduling tools. And I suppose the front that I put on on LinkedIn is very much, it is me. And that's why I hope people would like to work with me and us because and I am here and happy to help people. And the way I do LinkedIn is just to be, I suppose, added value and engaging as opposed to constantly selling and yeah, it's still very much a learning. And I think for me personally, I think there is a separation, but it is still, hopefully we are independent. It is us and it still comes across as, you know, we are personable people. Yeah. Social media is a, it's a devil, isn't it? (laughs) You know, I use it. I use it for my business. 
perhaps in a slightly different way, uh, way to you. And some people tell me I'm on it all the time. And I'm not, not really. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool to get a message out, to share some thoughts. And there's a balance of selling something, you know, so I might sell my mastermind or promote my, my business. But people will only pick up on that if they engage with me and understand what I'm what I'm all about. And that's why there's that balance of sharing some personal stuff, you know, not what you have for breakfast or <laughs> all that kind of thing. Or okay, so children. Yeah, yeah. But it's sort of sharing the the journey that you're on as much as the, you know, this is what my business is about. And people can be very snobby on LinkedIn. You know, they say this isn't this isn't Facebook. I'm like, well no, but you are a person, you're a human, you know, and then they want to know a bit bit about you. And I think it's also interesting mm. when you look at others and particularly if you're looking to uh, join a company or to recruit, you know, people do check out people's LinkedIn profiles. Do you engage with people? Are you not afraid to talk to people? Are you controversial? Do you like poking a stick? You can't get away from that. But you're right. There is, it is about having a, using it as a tool, having some perspective as to why you're using it and being sort of quite considered. What I see a lot of on, on LinkedIn, particularly a lot of the residential surveyors I know is they approach LinkedIn with a view to showing their credibility as a surveyor rather than using it to target their ideal clients who might be, you know, you know, work in a particular area. You can target people like that if you learn how to learn how to do it. I find it amazing that you didn't know how to use social media uh, <laughs> until recently, but I love how you've just embraced it and those little videos that you do where you've clearly got a, an app and just thought I'll give it a go with this but it's fun it's really fun what about you what about you Rebecca I mean how do you approach the business the family and work life I suppose for me is slightly easier because I will trade under my maiden name and my home life is in my married name so when I go to the school I think a lot of people do know what I do but also don't know what I do so although you know I am it is me and I think it's part of it you know my married surname's quite long and probably wouldn't even fit on the page so (laughs) it would make it a very strange business name but it's um like Sal I think initially I suppose it does take over and you think oh somebody else has liked this on LinkedIn or you make some more connections but it takes time I think to, to balance and when you're starting and trying to promote a new business I think you do have to put in hours you know it's not going to do itself you do have to to try and make it work and I think the platforms and social media more so now than ever where we can't go out and physically mm. network it's really important to engage like yourself you know zoom teams video calls one-to-ones it's all been quite new to us um you know I think previously in our business um where we used to work it would be a Christmas annual surveyors gathering on the south coast or a beer and curry somewhere it was never taking the time to to make the one-to-one calls and get to know other people so I personally like the face-to-face meets I like going to the groups you know, I've joined quite a few on the island. So I find that quite hard that it's moved to Zoom because I do like that people contact. But this is the next best thing. If we didn't have this, I think it would be. Um, so we're quite fortunate in a way. It's a, in a roundabout way to have Zoom and Teams and this social media and, and the presence. And it's exciting to put on social media when our first board went up. So our first agency board, that was so exciting for Sal and I to see this board on the high street. 
And lots of people have commented to say it's fantastic and we love watching your journey and please share more. So, again, you get driven by the fact that people are also excited for us getting to that point. Tell me about networking. So initially, when you started your business, how did you plan your, or did you plan your networking? Did you say, OK, I'm going to do, you know, we want to do lease renewals, valuations, you know, sort of split the type of work. Did you then target certain people, target certain networks? Um, you know, did you come up with a plan? Did you decide, OK, I'm going to do three days a week networking, tracking people down and then two days a week work? You know, did you come up with a plan to grow your network or did it grow organically, enthusiastically and you learned as you went along? So latching on to enthusiastic, so let's, <laughs> we were very enthusiastic about networking in terms of getting our presence out there. So really it was, so I'm based in Waterlooville, Hampshire, and I was fortunate to have quite a few local opportunities to meet people. So we didn't necessarily have, I suppose, a strategy in mind, which is literally for, we'd want to take opportunities to meet people and get out there. So networking events, free and paid seminars and um, opportunities to learn as well. So picking up with meeting uh, other business owners on a course and just generally chatting to people about what we do and introducing ourselves and our name. And initially, uh, maybe still, I suppose, it was I realised I quite enjoyed meeting people and speaking to them. So literally, I suppose, any opportunity that came up I would be there, probably, <laughs> safe to say. And Rebecca was able to do the Isle of Wight networking. And so we had, I suppose, both bases covered in that aspect. And to be honest, it wasn't really about targeting a specific service. It was more about letting people know they've got an alternative, I suppose, to the main businesses out there that do commercial property. And certainly it's kind of helps because... Funnily enough, you know, the world is so large, but actually the world is also so small because, as you say, you meet someone and they already know somebody else that you're connected with. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, so-and-so, it's such a small world. And it helps build up the familiarity as well. Did you feel nervous networking? Because a lot of people, and I know I know a lot of women, you know, you, you say you go to these networking events and you've got to talk to someone, you've got to tell people what you do and you've got to have your 60-second pitch and explaining what you you do and did you feel nervous about that have you always felt confident Rebecca <laughs> uh, yes nerves always even doing this with you now this podcast you know it's I wonder what she's going to ask you know it, it, yes it's a well, let's face pack. it Rebecca anything could come out of my mouth well, <laughs> <laughs> do I use that tape or something to fix something in the house yeah <laughs> no yeah no I, I think yeah I think nerves I think nerves are important as well it means you care in my eyes I think you know you you want to um it is nerve-wracking meeting new people it gets easier I think when you see the same people in a room it's nice because you think oh yeah there's such and such I'll go and have a chat you, and it's and it gets easier with the same people um but I think anything where you have to deliver a 60 second pitch or present or um we haven't done many presentations but the ones we have we've we've prepared and prepared prepared because Yes, nerve do play a part of it. Um, and we are stepping out of our comfort zone, but it's something that we want to do. We're always there to try and improve. And that's an area that we're we're focusing on. So yes, I think 
learning and um, just improving all the time. And and I think I wouldn't want not to have nerves. I think it it's important because we are trying to improve what we've got. So we want that to come across. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, whenever you stand up to give a presentation or, or whatever, you know, to say, I am nervous. <laughs> it's, it's an okay, it's an icebreaker. And it, you're absolutely right. I think it shows it shows you you care. When it comes to, uh, f- I'm just thinking for those listening who don't know what a 60 second pitch is. Generally, when you go to organised networking events, for example, BNI or you know some business networks, you normally go around the group and you have 60 seconds or one minute to pitch your business to say what you, you know, explain what your business is. And I've heard it called different things. I was in one networking group where they called it your captivating introduction. Oh, that's a <laughs> um, nice one. Which is really nice. Yeah. Um, mine really wasn't captivating <laughs> at all. And it takes a little while to to work that out. So for some people, you know, some surveyors would be thinking, well, I'm a surveyor. You know, I'm a surveyor and I do house buying, you know, surveys of purchase. And you think it'd be sort of straight, straightforward. But there's, with the variety of work that we do, and for yourselves, you know, you commercial property experts, you sat there with your banners behind you as I'm, as I'm recording this on, on Zoom. But you, you, you just explained, you did a, you do a variety of residential, of commercial, of leases, landlord tenant, you know, you do, you do the whole range. And that's the thing with surveying. Even a residential surveyor does other things unless you're very, very specific at just doing surveys day in, day out. And, Getting that captivating introduction or 60 second pitch right is really important. And it's about the the planning and working it out as much as the having the one line nailed when you introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, you know, I'd always say I'm a chartered surveyor. I'm absolutely proud of being a chartered surveyor. But now I run a training company and I do business and coaching mentoring. It doesn't really sort of <laughs> quite work so I had to early on explain one lady I know Leslie uh, Leslie Milson um, who's one of the admins and Osvey Hub admins on her LinkedIn what I love about about her is uh, she doesn't you, know, you get the the line that you can put underneath your your name on LinkedIn she doesn't just say I'm a you know residential value and surveyor she says helping clients to buy their future home with confidence and peace of mind providing high quality surveys and advice and I like that. And that really resonates with with consumers because her audience isn't me. You know, her audience is consumers out there. And the things that will resonate will be find their future home with confidence, peace of mind, sort of really tuning into those pain points that consumers have. Other things I've seen people do on their on their LinkedIn, and that one liner is actually a 60 second pitch effectively isn't it you know I've heard people talk about niching in on types of clients you know so first-time buyers helping first-time buyers find their home helping downsizers you know etc and you can absolutely niche down mine I think I've I can't never articulate it very well but now I talk about helping surveyors make a social impact whilst enjoying their business it used to be growing their business, but I really want people to enjoy their business because you enjoy it, then it uh, then it grows. What's your 60-second pitch or how would you describe yourselves? Well, that's, I was just thinking that's quite – I like um, Leslie's one. It's, it's very concise. I suppose that's focusing on a, a result and um, 
like you say, the pain point. But we've actually found it quite tricky to begin with when, I've, as you say, I've been to a few, some were just meet and greets and mingles and then some were organised with presentations and you know, 60-second pitches. And it has taken us, I suppose, it's still a learning, it's still a journey that changes, you know, quite a bit. But we have focused on, when we first introduced ourselves as chartered surveyors, actually not many people would know what we did. So yeah. that's been a, a learning. Yeah. And, you know, one of the default, actually, quite funnily, the default image is an old man measuring up and looking at defects on a bit of a building that might be crumbling. But that's actually not, not what we do, not what we are. And we, we've kind of honed in on we are commercial property advisors. And so that when we say, you know, we are commercial property advisors, valuers and agents, and I suppose we deal with who we are, where, where we work, and I suppose we highlight an, an aspect of the job. Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of trying not to bombard people of, as you say, our list of services because not many people want to listen to that and it might not be interesting particularly for them. But I suppose one of the learnings would be we, we can, we've been told to say like give, maybe give someone a fact and then say how you've helped a client, for example, but yeah. I'm not going to do a pitch now because <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry, don't worry. I won't, I won't put you on uh, on the spot <laughs> just purely because I I'm rubbish at doing mine. <laughs> uh, one one thing I've heard people say is I help X achieve Y by doing Z. You know, as a simple, you know, I I help home buyers buy their home by doing high quality surveys, so, something like that. Interesting there, you were just saying about you don't look like surveyors. And that's something I know many people struggle with. When I look at posts on LinkedIn or media articles, you know, industry shared articles, that kind of thing, they all have usually the same picture and it's a stock photo. There's two, one of a man and one of a woman stood outside a house with a note, note board. It's got a Barrett's brick, a buff brick colored house, like a new build. You're smiling because you've probably seen the ones. And, you know, that represents a surveyor or it is the hard hat. And we don't, I mean, there's there's something like 176 different types of surveyor registered with the RICS globally. Wow. How on earth are we all going to look the same? And that's why I think it's important that you, you own your identity and what you do. I mean, both of you are breaking the mould as young women, running your own business, doing things your way. And you have to step out there and, and show people what you're about because there is no role model other than the old dinosaur view. And that is really, really changing. But the imagery around that ha- hasn't, you know, it's sort of still stuck in our minds. And the more that we're visible, the more that we share what we do and how we do it, we inspire our clients and others and absolutely the, the next generation you know, and, and leave that legacy. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the visibility, I think, is what I suppose the industry has struggled with and obviously trying to get your campaign of women in surveying increased the, was it 13% of qualified yeah. surveyors were female? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think last year we went up 1%. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, push, a we, got, we got there. <laughs> it's, just a, it's a fresh approach, isn't it? I think... I think by adding that fresh approach, you know, we've got clients that we used to act for that have come and found us um, because 
they like to approach then. And I think that there's also clients that we're acting for now. And I think some people need time to see how you're doing when you're a new company, sort of watch and learn from the outside um, and see what you're doing. And then they come and approach you. But I think it's that fact that we add that that freshness. It's it's something new um, that we are, you know, female founders of a company, but happen to be surveying and and in year three, and I think people are now sort of learning that. So we're getting more and more inquiries and more and more returning clients, which is um, which is fantastic. And it, it shouldn't be, really shouldn't be odd in this day and age no. that there's women running business. And I'm coming across more and more women that, that do. I guess in some ways, because I've been quite outspoken about it's okay to be a woman, that I do attract more women into my network on the podcast I've worked really hard to make sure we're very nearly 50% women on the on the people that I've interviewed so having two of you on has just bumped up a bit and I know within my surveyor hub community the free Facebook group that I run we're about 25-26% women you know which if you look at the dynamics you know the the numbers of 15% across the the board then we're still we're still up so you know but we've got to work work hard i also think though there's a generation of men out there who just think of things differently you know and and i a lot of the clients that i tend to work with i'd like to call the modern man <laughs> uh if that is such a thing you know someone who is quite happy to share the parental leave or it's not an odd thing for them to think about that who questions things much more than perhaps their their parents or grandparents did and I think we need to be I guess it's just recognizing that not all the men out there are dinosaurs you know that there are others out there who think differently but they need to speak out about the things that matter to them you know a good example of that is paternity leave we shouldn't talk about maternity leave unless it's specifically about a woman's condition and, and, the, and the time off it's paternity you know you've got, they've got two parents mm. you know I don't know if to explain the biology about how these things happen but we've got a, it's the language that we use and the the women in surveying thing that I did has been quite powerful because it's been more of a movement you know, it's not, I've talked about it, it's not an organisation or a membership club. If you're a woman and a surveyor, you can come and join the gang and, and just chat and be part of it. But just, what's really interesting is how powerful it is to know that there's something out there for you, mm. whether you engage with it or not. But when I first started it, there was a real backlash of what about the men and do we need another women's group? You know, there's like 76 different women's groups within the built environment. We don't, we don't need another one. So for me, it was really a, cur- a journey of curiosity to see what would that be like. I remember, I think it was last year or a year before, um, I had to go organising some events <laughs> just to see what it would be like. Do women want to come to those? And it just happened to be coincide with where I was traveling <laughs> at the time. And we had one in London. Everybody wanted one in London. Very few people came. Although it was, for me, it was really rewarding that we had a few, we had some good conversations with the people that did come. We had one up in Leeds, which was great. I met up with a couple of people in Manchester. And then we organized one near, near Portsmouth, didn't we? That's right. That's right. And unfortunately, on the day I couldn't go there because my daughter was really poorly, but it was the best attended without me being there. <laughs> and all these people turned up on a 
where was it? I said it was somewhere off a bypass. Yeah, yeah, at the village hotel, and yeah, about twenty odd ladies came, and yeah, it was really, it was a really positive event, and definitely something that I suppose raising more, I suppose a safe space, or maybe a sense of community where perhaps they were it's still felt as like a male-dominated arena. So it's certainly you know a positive organized um, event. And, and sometimes we just need to know that there's a network of people out there. We're, we're, we're all parts of clubs and memberships and Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups. And sometimes, as I say, just knowing that there, there are things out there or there are people out there that you can reach out to. And I, and I see that myself since I've been talking about it's okay to be a woman, since I've been talking about small businesses and the fact that you can feel empowered to do, run your business your way. People do just reach out and ask a question and I'm glad they do that rather than get stuck. You know, it just needs to inspire people. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, it's been really good to talk to you. Thank you for for taking the time to come on today. Thank you for having us. So thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do love hearing your feedback. So please feel free to drop me a message. You can email me at marion.ellis at blueboxpartners.com or you can find me on social media at Marion Surveyor.